right. How's everybody doing tonight? Man, I am, I am, I'll just say it, excited. I always say excited. So I'll just say it. I, I can't hide the fact that I'm excited about this. The more I dig into the Bible, the more exciting it gets to me. And so my, my task every single week is to take, you know, six hours worth of really spirit-led, cool information and things that God wants me to relay and then boil it down into a reasonable amount of time. So I will try to do that again tonight. So uh, welcome all of you. If there's anybody who hasn't been here for a while or maybe you're, you're kind of coming in and out, we've been working our way through the book of Acts. And my heart through this is that by the time we're done, which will be at the beginning of December, um, by the time we're finished with this, you may not know every single line, every single verse in the book of Acts, but you'll know how the book goes. You'll understand the flow. You'll understand the point of it, the, the significant events that happened. And so I want to make sure that we hit all those things. And so I might cover kind of a lot of information during a service, um, but trust me, it's all got a point. There's all a reason to it. It's not just a bunch of, of uh, random disjointed facts and things that I want to share with you. So we've been going through. So Acts, of course, the chapter starts out, Acts 1-8. And this is Jesus telling his disciples. It actually starts with 1-1, but we start with 1-8, just to be clear. Um, starts with Jesus telling his disciples that, you know, he's going, he's ascending into heaven. He's leaving them behind. And he says, but, but you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And when this happens, then you will be able to spread the gospel throughout Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. He's, he's given them this task and he's saying, just wait for it. Wait for it. When this happens, then you'll have everything that you need. Okay, so that's what he's telling them. That's how it opens up. So then we go into the birth of the church at Pentecost, okay, when the Holy Spirit actually comes upon the disciples and then begins to enable them to do these things. But even when that happens, they don't really understand the depth of what just happened. They know it was pretty cool because it was a significant event that happened to them. There was no mistaking tongues of fire coming down on them and all those things. But they still don't really grasp the, the depth of what has happened to them. So then it moves on. We see Stephen. Stephen steps out and he starts to minister. Um, and his reward for that is that he's stoned to death publicly. So that would, you would think, put a little bit of a damper on this new uh, fledgling Christianity that is starting out. But in fact, it doesn't. It doesn't even slow it down. Except we see things like Saul coming in. Saul comes in, starts to persecute the church. He starts to drag believers out of their homes and lock them up, kill them, stone them, torture them, all these different things that happen. Scripture says he ravaged the believers. So that's a significant event. And the, the, the outpouring of this, the result, I should say, of this is that he's attacking these believers and it causes them to scatter. They say, we can't stay here in Jerusalem, which is our comfort zone. This is our home. This is our place. We're among all of our friends here. But the heat's getting turned up. He's turning up the heat here, so we've got to get out. And it causes them to scatter out into the world and actually start doing what Jesus had called them to do. Go out into the world and make disciples. So then a couple weeks ago, I taught about Philip. Okay, Philip actually stepping out. Philip the evangelist, Philip the first missionary, actually goes up into Samaria and starts sharing the gospel with them. And that's significant because that's the first time that, that anybody other than really a, a, 
uh, a pure by, by heritage Jew is, is even being offered this message. And Samaritans, are, if you remember, are kind of half-breeds. They're kind of half, half Jew and half everything else, really, just sort of a mishmash of different cultures. Um, so he starts doing that. And then last week, Pastor Gabe did a wonderful job, thank you, Gabe, about teaching about uh, Saul and his come-to-Jesus meeting, right? Or she said that, I love that. You ever had one of those? Uh, Saul had one of those, and it changed his life, changed his life. And then actually through that, it changed a lot of people's lives where he was able to um, actually go out and share the gospel throughout the world with a unique perspective and a unique authority that he had, and God used that in just incredible ways. So today, what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about Peter's ministry. Okay, we've heard about Peter um, and the different things that he did. Remember, Peter, at the start of this, now you'll, this, this is an incredible story. It's not just a story, it's in the Word of God, it's, it's Scripture, it happened, it's a, it's a true thing that occurred, but this man, you listen to all these things that happened, they're amazing. They are miraculous, incredible things that happened to Peter and through Peter. But remember who he was when this all started. He was just a fisherman. He was on the edge of the Galilee throwing his net out into the water with his brother. He was, he was just fishing. That's all he had been before. And Jesus walked up to him and, and said, follow me. And so he made that choice. And through that, this regular, ordinary man becomes what, not too far later, how does Jesus describe Peter? He says, you are the rock on which I will build my church. So Peter becomes very significant, and so that's what we're going to go into right now. And so you think of Peter was hand-selected by Jesus. He was, he was snatched out of the life that he had. Jesus said, follow me, had intimate time with Jesus, following around with him, listening to him teach, Hanging out with him, camping with him, listening to his stories, hearing his heart, learning from him. He had all these experiences. He was there at Pentecost, and he had the Holy Spirit come upon him, and he was able to do all these things. One, you know, one of the original chosen apostles of Jesus Christ. And even with all that, he still didn't really understand the depth of what he was being called to do. He still tended to revert back to his, to his cultural, Jewish cultural ways and beliefs and the things that he felt like he was to do in the name of Jesus, he filtered them through those cultural beliefs that he had been raised in and taught in. So have you ever said to yourself, man, I've heard all this teaching, I've been a Christian for a while now, or maybe it's just been a day or a week or whatever, it is, and there's so much to know, and there's so much I don't understand. And maybe I've been a Christian for, since I was a kid for as long as I can ever remember. And there's still things that I don't understand or things that I get wrong, that, I, that I'm acting out in, in, in a wrong way. Maybe with a good heart, but, but you're doing it the wrong way. And so you condemn yourself. You say, man, when is the time going to come to where I say, I got this figured out. Okay, now I understand it. If you've ever said that to yourself, you're not alone. Because Peter, with all these credentials, you would call them, of being with Jesus, still doesn't get it at times. So that's what we're going to talk about here tonight. We're going to talk about 
how the cleansing blood of Jesus is ultimately is offered to everyone. Everyone who believes, regardless of what your background is, regardless of where you came from, regardless of what you have done, Jesus offers that to you. And Jesus taught that to his disciples, specifically taught that to his apostles, and even then, he still didn't quite get it. The light bulb didn't go off, okay, so, or didn't go on. So we're going to talk about that right here. So up until now, the gospel had been, had been shared primarily with Jews, specifically with Jews, in fact. That had been their goal. We're going to teach in the synagogues. We're going to teach in the temples. <coughs> Excuse me. But it was primarily offered to Jews. And we've talked about time after time about how you can just, you can hear in the scriptures, you can hear the burden that the disciples had trying to share this with their own people. Again, they didn't consider themselves anarchists, but they're just trying to share it with their people going, please understand this. I'm one of you and and I now understand what we've been trying to learn here all all this time. And so they're trying to get the Jews to come on board with them. And some are, but many of them aren't. And you can hear this burden. So then they go a little bit further, sharing not just with the Jews, but sharing with what they call the circumcised believers. Have you ever heard that term in the Bible? Have you ever read that, the circumcised believers? Okay, it sounds kind of weird. But what that is, just a quick reference, because we reference it um, a couple times, circumcised believers refers to those who, who believe in God, believe in Yahweh, okay, and they're second-generation believers. In other words, their parents who are not Jewish by culture, not Jewish by background, but they have come to believe in God, the Father God, okay? And then they believe so much that when they have children... Okay, they circumcise the boys. So that's a circumcised believer. It's not just you just came to a knowledge of who God was right now. Your parents did, circumcised you at birth, and then you were included in that covenant with God, that covenant of circumcision that they talk about. Okay, so that's what a circumcised believer is. So at this point where we start this out, the gospel has been shared with Jews it has been shared with circumcised believers. And Philip has gone out, and he's kind of pushed the boundary a little bit by sharing the gospel with the Samaritans, some of whom were Jews, some of whom were circumcised believers, but many of whom were half Jew and half something else. So he's not radically departing, but he has a little bit. They're starting to share the gospel outside of that original core group. So what we find out right now, as we move into the scriptures for tonight, Peter sets out. Peter sets out. Now remember how I said that, in fact, scripture says that everybody left, the the disciples were driven out of Jerusalem, but the apostles stayed behind. Scripture specifically says, except the apostles. So they stayed behind to help the church get going, to help make sure it was solid and to help grow. And they just stayed there to shepherd that church. Well, Peter sets out. Now, he's not setting out to really necessarily do the same thing that Philip is doing, going out, you know, just going out all over the the world. In fact, there are other disciples that that are scattering all over the place, and they're starting to share the gospel. Peter doesn't really set out to say, hey, I'm going to be a missionary, and I'm just going to go travel the world. He just 
starts to just broaden the horizons a little bit. Still within shouting distance of home, so to speak, right? So that's where he is. His goal is to actually go out and share the gospel with circumcised believers. That's what scripture says. Not again, not Gentiles. In fact, having walked with Jesus, having heard Jesus teach directly, actually is one of the things that kind of keeps Peter in his box here because he's kind of conflicted about what Jesus has been teaching. So if you remember, I'll read this to you. Matthew 10, 5 and 6, it says, These twelve, that's the apostles, these twelve Jesus sent out after instructing them. And this is what he instructed them. Do not go in the way of the Gentiles and do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Specifically telling them, okay, I want you to focus on the lost sheep of Israel, okay, who, Jews and the nation of Israel, that's who I want you to target. Jesus specifically tells them that. But then Peter's with Jesus when he goes to Samaria, or at least he passes through Samaria, and he talks to the Samaritan woman. And in fact, Peter's one of them that says, why are you talking to this woman? She's a Samaritan. We're not supposed to be doing that. Jesus kind of gives him a little rebuke then and says, you know, tells him that that's part of the, of the overall plan. So Peter's hearing these things, but he still remembers being told only the, the lost sheep of Israel is who we're to share this with. Jesus gave Peter even more clues. Look at this in John 10, 16. Jesus tells Peter, tells all the apostles this, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. Okay, remember, Jesus teaches in parables. He teaches in metaphors, things like this. The flock is is Israel, and the shepherd, he is the shepherd. Okay, and so this is what he's teaching. In so many words, he's saying, hey, it's not just these people. There are many more, and our job is going to be to bring them all into this one flock, So he's telling Peter this. Peter has heard this. And then the very last thing, one of the very last things that Jesus tells them before he ascends is the Great Commission, right? Matthew 28, 19, where he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So he's telling them these things. And yet in their mind, they're still thinking, this is for the Jews only. So in their mind, they're not prepared to go out and share it with the Gentiles. See, Peter had the information. He walked with Jesus. He heard from Jesus. He had all the information that he needed. What he lacked was the revelation. He had the information. He didn't have the revelation yet. But that comes soon. So let's look at how that revelation comes to Peter. The very last verse that Pastor Gabe shared last week was Acts 9.31. It says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It, meaning the church, continued to increase. That's where we are as we set up Peter's ministry. So the first scripture that I have in terms of Peter's ministry is Acts 9, 32 to 35, which we've got on the screen here. 
Now, as Peter was traveling through all those regions, the regions, Judea, Samaria, the ones that I just read you, remember, it's a continuation of a thought from the last, from the last uh, paragraph. Traveling through all those regions, he came down to the saints who lived at Lydda. Therefore, or there, he found a man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden eight years, for he was paralyzed. Okay. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. Immediately he got up, and all who lived at Lydda and Sharon, Sharon is, a, is just a big plain region, it's not a town, saw him, and they turned to the Lord. So go back to the beginning, go back to just the beginning. When it says, traveling through all those regions, he came down also to the saints. It's important to understand who the saints are. In, in this time, the saints were those disciples who had scattered. Okay, they had scattered, so they know Jesus, and he's referring to them as saints. So Peter's traveling down through Lydda, Sharon, and he's going down specifically to basically make house calls to visit the saints. And this is where he comes upon this man who was bedridden, and he heals them. So it's an amazing story. Um, All who live there ultimately turn to the Lord. So that means not everybody in that region was, but through that act, again, Peter healing this man who was bedridden, that causes people to see the amazing power of Christ and they start turning to the Lord. So that's, that's, uh, that happens there. And then the very next thing he does is he just says, okay, moving on. He doesn't stay there. He moves now and he goes to a place called Joppa, or they call it Jaffa now with, with F's instead of P's. It's actually one of the places. In fact, many of the places that you'll hear me talk about and many of the places in Acts are places that we will visit when we do the Israel trip. So when you see all these towns and these regions, the vast majority of them, we will actually go to and visit. So Acts 9, 36, 38 says, Now in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which translated in Greek is called Dorcas. So which would you go by? Would you go by Tabitha or Dorcas if you had the choice? This woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. And it happened at that time that she fell sick and died. And when they had washed her body, they laid it in an upper room. Again, that's Jewish custom. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, having heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him, imploring him, do not delay in coming to us. So they, they hear that he's there. They send him, go, come and, and see what you can do with Tabitha. So he comes, and as he's there, he walks into the room. They tell him what's going on. They tell him how great Tabitha was, what a, what a wonderful saint she was. Again, she was one of the, of the saints that Peter had, had come to visit, one of the disciples. And they start gathering around. They start gathering around, basically expecting the miraculous out of Peter and start, you know, because they've heard the stories, okay? Some of them maybe have even seen him do these things. And they start to gather around and watch. Well, what Peter does next, Acts 9.40, he sends them out. It says, Peter sent them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. Okay, so he sends them out of the room to do this. Why? Because they were looking at him. They were saying, you're a great man. 
probably bordering on worshiping him for who he was and the power that they had seen him have. And so he says, I, I don't, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to send you out of the room because I don't want this to be anything I did. I want it to be something that Jesus Christ did. And so he sends them out. So she rises, she comes out, they see this. And then the next verse, uh, Acts 9, 42 and 43, it says, It became known all over Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed many days in Joppa with a tanner named Simon. So that last verse, 43, And Peter stayed many days in Joppa with a tanner named Simon. And then it immediately goes on to other scripture that we're going to talk about here in a minute. But why do you think verse 43 was even thrown in there? Why would it bother to say, okay, after he did, he, he just raised someone from the dead. And then the very next line is, and he stayed a few days with this tanner named Simon. And then he goes on and does more ministry. Well, the reason that it's there is because the Holy Spirit is already starting to work in Peter. He's already starting to understand that the gospel of Jesus needs to be more inclusive and is more inclusive. And the reason the tanner named Simon is important is because in Jewish culture, what do tanners do? Okay, tanners handle dead animals, right? That's considered very dirty and very unclean in the Jewish culture. And so a tanner was somebody that you stayed away from. They were unclean by profession. And so you wouldn't hang out with them. You would, certainly wouldn't stay at their house. But Peter does this to prove a point. He proves this. He does this, and I don't think he even understands at this point. We'll see in Scripture later why. He doesn't even understand why he's doing this. But the Spirit is prompting him, stay with this man. It's going to be all right. So he does that. He stays, he stays there. Moving on, we have a centurion named Cornelius, and he has a vision. Okay, different place, different, we're shifting a scene to somewhere else. This is Acts 10, 1 and 2. Now there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continuously. Okay, so this man... The centurion named Cornelius, Caesarea, another place we'll see, by the way. Cornelius, a centurion, meaning he's, he's a big deal. He's the leader of this Italian cohort. And a cohort in, is another word in their era for a battalion. It's a large group of soldiers. So he's the leader of a large group of soldiers, but he's also a devout man who fears God. And he had started to teach his household, and they feared God. And he gave alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continuously. This is an example of somebody who is not a circumcised believer, though, because he's the first in his generation. He's the first in his line who has come to know God. Now, if he has children and he circumcises the boys, they will become circumcised believers. But that's, that's who Cornelius is. And he has a vision. He is a good man. He's a believer in God. And he has this vision. I'll read this to you. This is Acts 10, 3 to 6. It's a little bit long, so we don't have it on the screen. About the ninth hour of the day, which is about three in the afternoon, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius, and fixing his gaze on him and being much alarmed, 
can imagine that would be slightly alarming. He said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now, dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. Remember, the Peter that we're talking about, his name is actually Simon Peter. They call him both names. It's very confusing when Simon Peter is staying with Simon the Tanner. That's why we just call him Simon the Tanner and Peter. That's also how you know the Bible wasn't written by man later. It's actually a true account because you wouldn't have multiple characters with the same name. It's just too confusing. But anyway, so now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon who is also called Peter. He is staying with a tanner named Simon whose house is by the sea. Okay, now Cornelius doesn't ask why. Cornelius just does it. You recognize that when he responds to the voice, he, said, he says, what is it, Lord? So he recognizes, something in his spirit recognizes that that was the voice of the Lord. So at the same time, Peter also has a vision. Remember, Peter's somewhere else. He's in a different city, and he has a vision too. This is Acts 10, 9 to 12. I'll read this one to you too because it's a little bit long. Just listen to what the scene is. On the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, this is Peter. He's leaving, and he's just kind of walking around the area visiting the various saints. Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. That's about noon, right? But he became hungry and was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. And he saw the sky opened up and an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were, all, there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. A voice came to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy or unclean. So in the Jewish culture, anything that crawled on the ground was considered unclean. You didn't eat that. If you go back and you read the law of Moses, most birds were unclean, okay? Many, many things were considered unclean back at that point. So Peter here, he's referring back to his Jewish roots and saying, no, I would never touch those things. I was raised not to. I was taught not to. I know what the law says. I shouldn't touch any of those things. By no means, Lord, would I do that. He may think he's being tested at this point. What would you think if that's what you were raised in? And he said, here, here it is. Go ahead. He might think he's being tested. So he says, by no means. I've never eaten anything unholy and unclean. But then this, and this is, I want you to look at this verse, Acts 10, 15. Again, a voice came to him a second time. What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. Okay, so he hears this, and he's pondering this voice. <clears throat> and as this happened, he's kind of blinded to the meeting, right? Or to the meaning of this, because this actually happens three times. The same voice has to tell him this three times, and he's still confused by it. He's still pondering, I don't know for sure what that means. Well, God is cleansed, no longer consider unholy. Okay, I get it, but I've been expressly told that these things are unholy. So does that mean that? And, you know, he's, he's, you can hear him just kind of struggling, wrestling with these, with these different things that he's being told. So Peter's confused. 
But he goes ahead and he goes to see Cornelius. So Acts 10, 17 actually talks about that before he leaves. It says, well, I think we have that too. But while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what the vision he had seen might be, behold, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions for Simon's house, appeared at the gate. So then Peter is actually prompted by the Spirit to go with them. Because Peter would have known these men are not circumcised believers. These men are not Jews. They are actually Gentiles. But Scripture says that he was actually prompted to go with them. Okay, so that's why he actually leaves and goes with them. So Peter arrives. He arrives at Cornelius's stronghold, compound, castle, whatever it is, house. He arrives there, and immediately Cornelius starts calling a crowd in. Come on. I don't know what this man is going to say. I don't even know why he's here, but I do know that an angel of the Lord told me to go get him. I did that. He's here. It must mean something really cool is about to happen. So everybody come on in, and let's see what Peter's got to say. So that's where we are. In fact, Peter walks in, and the centurion starts to bow down to worship Peter as if he's God. Peter says, no, 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 no. Acts 10, 26, Peter raises him up and says, stand up. I too am just a man. So everywhere he goes, he's got to fight this perception that things are happening through his power. And he's saying no. He's putting the attention back on Jesus where it belongs. But after he says this, this crowd is gathered around. They're looking at him. They have no idea why they're there other than that it's Peter. And they've been called to be here. Peter has no idea why he's there other than that he got prompted to just go with these men. So he's standing there, they're all looking at him, and he's like, uh, what am I supposed to do? But then the light bulb turns on for him. The next verse, you can see how he just starts to have this revelation. Remember I talked to you earlier about he had the information, but he didn't have the revelation yet. This is where the revelation comes to him. Acts 10.28. And this is what Peter says to them. He says to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him, and yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. He starts to to get the reason for this. Next verse, uh, Acts 10, 34-35. Opening his mouth, Peter says, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. He's had the revelation now. Now he gets it. He's putting the pieces together. And what does he do? His response, he just starts preaching Jesus to them. This crowd that the centurion, Gentiles, all of them, have come together and he starts preaching Jesus to them. It had to be a great Great, great scene. Because Acts 10, 44, 45, we've got that one up on the screen too. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed. That's his entourage that came with him, right? Were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. This is great news. So when it says the the Spirit poured out onto them, they started speaking in tongues, all those things that you saw 
except for the fire probably because it doesn't say that explicitly, that happened at Pentecost was happening to these believers. And Peter was seeing this and all the entourage, the circumcised believers that came with him were seeing this happen. And they're saying, wow, we need to baptize these guys. So that's what he does. He orders that Peter orders all of them to become baptized. So that's the end of that scene right there. Peter has had this revelation that God has made them clean and that that is offered to everyone who comes to Jesus and who does what is right and who knows Jesus. So he says, okay, my work here is done, and he moves on. He actually goes back to Jerusalem. When he gets to Jerusalem, you would think this is Peter, right? This is the rock on whom the church will be built. He's a big deal in Jerusalem. And he returns back, and they immediately start questioning him. Why did you do that? Why did you share that gospel with them? And they start really giving him a hard time. But what he does, actually Acts 11.2 says, when Peter came to Jerusalem, those who were circumcised took issue with him. Okay, meaning saying, you, you're sharing this, and they're not one of us. They're not our people, and you're sharing the gospel with them. This is, this is a gift that we have. They're wanting to keep it in a little club with just them. But Peter goes to them, and he starts recounting this vision, and essentially the vision that he had before he went to see the centurion, he recounts that exact same vision with them. And then he shares with them the revelation, God told me that what he has made clean, let no one consider unclean. He shares that with them. And so the next, Acts eleven eighteen. when they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. So they realize this now. Now they know, okay, the shackles are off. We can go out now and we can share the gospel with anybody that we come across. Jew, Gentile, circumcised, not anybody. Anybody can be included in this new covenant. So scripture says the Greeks in Antioch, which is that other region, we talked about Antioch before, but the Greeks in that region started to convert in some pretty large numbers. There were a lot of disciples up there, and they were really starting to convert those Greeks. <coughs> but this was just, just disciples, just average people who were going up there, okay? People like you and me going up there and starting to say, hey, have you heard of Jesus? And they're starting to share Jesus. And the result of this is that multitudes are starting to turn to Jesus. Okay, word of this gets back to Jerusalem, and their response is, look, this is wonderful, but we need to send one of us up there just to make sure that they're hearing the right thing and that they're getting, getting off to the right start. So they choose Barnabas. Barnabas is, is one of the, it's not one of the apostles. It's not one of the seven deacons that was chosen. He's just a guy. In fact, they talk about him earlier in Acts. He's one that sold all of his possessions and just laid them at the feet of Peter and John and said, here, have everything that I have. So that's, that goes back to that's who Barnabas is. But he's just, he's just full of the spirit. He's a believer and he's a good man. And so they pick him and they just send him up there. So he goes up there, Acts 11.24, in fact, describes him. He was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And as a result of him going up there, and many numbers were brought to the Lord. In fact, so many that Barnabas says, I need help. He says, I need help with this. There is just too much going on. I need somebody else with authority to come and help me. So what he does, Acts 11.25.26 
he takes off, Barnabas goes off, and he goes up to Tarsus, and he left. Remember, Pastor Gabe taught last week, Saul kind of went up to Tarsus to kind of learn and hear from Jesus and, and be taught. So he left for Tarsus to look for Saul, and, when he, and it's been a few years in between of a time gap, so Saul could have been anywhere at that point, but he goes up there, and he finds him. When he finds him, he brings him to Antioch, and for an entire year, they meet with the church, and they taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. This is the time and the place where the name Christians first became a thing. And they start becoming called Christians. Things are going great. Things are going great for Peter. Things are going great for Saul. Now he's coming back into the fold and he's teaching. And great numbers are converting. If this were a movie, this is where it would end. But there's more to it, right? There's always more to it. But if this were a movie, it would end right there. But here's the problem. The enemy never gives up. The enemy never gives up. And the enemy hates it when we start doing things for Jesus. He hates it. And so he starts throwing things at us and putting things in our way. And here's what happens. Acts 12, 1 to 4. I think we got it. Yep. Now, about that time, Herod the king, this is... This is um, king that, that has been ordained over that land. Now, he's not a Jew, okay, and he's not really even a believer. His primary focus in the world is just to keep everybody calm and peaceful. So he's just looking to do whatever he can to just placate the people and keep them happy. This is what he's trying to do. He doesn't have any particular uh, problem with, with Christians, just that they cause problems with the Jews. So now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some, laid hands mean not to heal them, to pull them in, who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, so he does this, and the Jews are super happy about that. So Herod goes, oh, you like that? Watch what else I can do. When he saw that he pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now, it was during the days of unleavened bread, which means a celebration um, of Passover. When he had seized him, he couldn't kill him because it was Passover. It would have been illegal to do that. So he just puts him in prison for the night. When he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him. This isn't one sleepy Barney Fife guy who's guarding him, right? Remember Barney? Who remembers Barney Fife, right? One bullet. It wasn't that. Four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. Again, Herod's just trying to be popular. The very next verse, verse 5, we don't have it there, but it tells us that the believers were fervently praying for Peter at this point. Peter's imprisoned. He's in jail. He's going to be probably executed the next day. They don't know for sure, but it won't be good. And it says they're fervently praying for them. Now, here's the cool thing that God answers their prayers. Acts 12, 6 and 7, the very next verses, we've got this one. On the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. Okay, you got the scene? And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared, and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter's side and woke him up, saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off of his hands. Peter thinks he's seeing another vision. 
In fact, he kind of wrestles with this, like, is this really happening? He's sort of struggling because he thinks it's just another vision. But he pretty soon he finds out, he finds himself standing outside and realizes this isn't a vision, this just happened. So what he does, he escapes, he runs out of there, and he goes to the house where all of the disciples are there praying for him. And what he does, he goes up, he knocks on the door. One of the housekeepers actually comes to the door and hears Peter's voice, doesn't open the door like any of us would. He runs back in and tells them, Peter's outside. And they go, uh, no, Peter's, Peter's in jail. That's who we're praying for, remember? And she goes, no, 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 he's, he's seriously, he's outside. I heard his voice. And they go, no, nah, it was just his angel. Now, in Jewish culture, they believed that everybody had an angel who looked just like them, who sometimes would appear in places to talk to people. Could be a handy out for those of us who make mistakes every now and then. It wasn't me, it was my angel. But so this is what happens. But Peter, they finally go and they let him in. And he really, they start making a fuss over him. And he just says, simmer down. Acts 12, 17, motioning them with his hand to be silent, he describes to them how the Lord had let him out of prison, okay? And he says, now report these things to James and the rest of the brethren, rest of the brothers. Then he just leaves. He leaves and goes to another place. That's essentially the end of it. Now, this story does have a small epilogue at the end of it, but I think it's important. It's not just a throwaway. It helps us to understand the authenticity of this. Acts 12, 18, 19, it's not up there, but I'll read it to you. Now, when the day came, okay, sun's coming up, there was, no small disturb, dis, there was no small disturbance, in other words, there was a large disturbance, among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. When Herod had searched for him and had not found him, he examined the guards and ordered that they be led away to execution. And then it just says, then he went down to Judea and Sidaria and Caesarea. Uh, <clears throat> then he went down to Judea and Caesarea and was spending time there. This is important because, because Roman soldiers were put to death if their prisoner escaped. So if they had just let him out and they were threatened with being put to death, they would have said, okay, okay, okay. We know where he is. We'll take you to him. Okay. Remember, there were, there were several of them there. This wasn't just one guy who fell asleep. Several of them there. And they end up getting put to death because they have no explanation for why Peter's not there anymore. Other than that an angel of the Lord came. So here, so as we wrap this up, <coughs> here's what I want you to know from this. The story, it's about a lot of things. There's a lot of information there, right? And it's about a lot of things, and there's a lot that we can wrestle with. It's about Peter receiving the revelation that the Gentiles are to be included in the new covenant. It's about Peter's obedience to the Holy Spirit, despite maybe some, he doesn't understand, but he's obedient anyway. The centurion does the same thing. He's obedient to what he hears. So it's about that. It's also about the spread of the gospel of Jesus to the Gentiles. It's wonderful. The gospel of Jesus Christ is spreading all over the world like wildfire at this point. So it's about all those things. But what it's really mostly about, it's about what Jesus did for us. It's about this, the very last scripture that we have, Acts 10, 15. 
again, a voice came to him a second time and said, what God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. The worship team, you guys can go ahead and start coming up and getting ready. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been cleansed. Whether you've been a believer for five minutes or you've been a believer your entire life, the cleansing blood of Jesus is offered to you. And if you accepted Jesus into your heart, then you have been cleansed and made holy and made pure by what Jesus did. It's not by anything that we did. The only thing we did is we stopped running and said yes to Jesus, right? But it's through Jesus' blood. There is nothing that is unholy or impure or unclean about who you are if you are in Christ. Jesus did that for us. So that's what we have to be thankful. When you look at a story like this, the whole thing boils down to the fact that what Jesus accomplished on the cross is to include everyone in his new covenant. We are all included in that. We are no longer bound by Old Testament law, but we are in the new covenant of grace and mercy. There is law that we have to follow, yes, but Jesus brings grace and mercy to that law, and that brings life, and it brings joy, and it brings peace. And most of all, what it brings is it brings the power to break the chains that hold us in lies thinking that I've done too much and I am unworthy to be considered one of the saints like they use. Jesus died for you and his work did it all. And so if you're sitting here and you say, yes, I know Jesus, I consider myself a believer, and I hear those things, but I've got some things to take care of before I'm worthy of what Jesus did for me, that is a lie. That is a lie from the enemy. Jesus knew who you were. He knew what you were going to do. He knew what you did yesterday and what you did on the way here and what you're thinking about doing on the way home, and he still died for you to make you holy and clean and so if we're carrying any of that baggage any of those lies any of those shackles those chains that weight of thinking that you're not worthy of what he did for you i want to let you know that you are worthy this entire story points to because of what he did you are worthy and so that's all we have to do no sin is too big no past is too dark no brokenness beyond repair for the cleansing power of Jesus. Amen? So church, as we go into communion, I want us to do it with just the deepest heartfelt thanks that you can possibly muster. That we don't have to carry that weight. We don't have to look at yesterday and last week and last year and our entire lives and think, man, I messed up and look at all the mistakes I made. God doesn't see any of those things. What he sees is he sees you through the filter of the blood of Jesus and you are pure and you are worthy. So that's the thanks that we should have when we take communion. So at the crosses, we've got juice and bread and crackers. You can serve yourself. Gabe and I will be up front and we have wine up here if you would like that. But let's, let's be joyously thankful. This isn't just a, hey, that's pretty cool moment. This is a, 
Everything that would hold you back from the fullness of what God has for you is now gone. And you are free to step into the blessing that he wanted for all of us from day one and that the enemy has tried to steal. Let's do it with that kind of a thankful heart. Amen? Thank you, church.
doesn't matter our past, God, because you are our future. Whatever chains we think are holding us back, Father, you've broken them all and they are at your feet. God, there's power in that that we can't even understand. There's times when we get caught up in this world and think that there's no path forward, but God, you are the way, the truth, and the life, and through you, all things have been set free. And we just pray that you implant that in each and every one of our hearts right here and right now, God. Let us know your path for us. Let us see the chains and ropes and locks being broken off and shattered in the name of Jesus, the name above all names. Jesus, we love you. We welcome you in this place.
we love you and we thank you for the blessings that you continue to pour out over us. And we just ask that you bind us together as a church, Father, and that you thrive in this church, God. We love you. We love your presence. dismissed at this time. We pray safety over you and your families throughout the weekend and the rest of the week. And uh, we pray that we see you back here next week. We love you guys. Cheers.